Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. All right, folks, we are back. This is the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This is our waiver wire show here on the program. Week one is wrapped up. We are heading into week two. This is really the biggest waiver wire week of the year. We've already had a couple season-ending injuries. Aaron Rodgers, J.K. Dobbins. We've got Deontay Johnson banged up huge breakouts by the Los Angeles Rams. And of course, we are, you know, just reevaluating the way we think of these teams. You know, there are some teams that are way worse than we thought, teams that are better, things that we are getting confirmed. So I think it's an important week to be dialed in. We do quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end here on the program. Maybe if I get some comments, some questions about defenses, we can do those. But let's go ahead and dial into the week two waiver wire beginning at quarterback. I do think Mac Jones for me is prop. Well, actually, no. I think Sam Howell is the top waiver wire ad. If you you know if you lost Aaron Rodgers, if you don't like your quarterback's matchup this upcoming week, I do think that Howell probably is the guy you want to add. He finished as the quarterback 12 in week one. He did only scramble twice. I do think he's probably the ceiling option. Like for example, I prefer him to Jordan Love or Baker Mayfield. Maybe if you got stuck with a Daniel Jones type and you don't really want to roll with him, I think you can go like 5, 8, 10-ish percent on Howell if you do need a ceiling option. But obviously the thing at quarterback this week is they are going to get lost in the shuffle, right? I mean, just no doubt about it. There are such good names at running back, wide receiver, and tight end that no one is really going into the waiver wire super excited about the quarterback position this week. It's not going to be the focus. And Rodgers, he was like the quarterback 16, so a lot of teams that have him probably weren't even using him as the starter. So Howell, for me, going to be the number one option. The commander's wide receivers all looked good. Um... You know, like I just think he he's going to scramble a bit. Now, I do think he is like a worse passer than maybe the market was anticipating as he was getting steamed up in underdog and, and best ball drafts and things like that. A guy who I do think probably is a better passer than the market anticipated, though, is Mac Jones, who, uh, I mean, look, he almost went 303 against the Eagles, he was throwing to to Demario Douglas and Kendrick Bourne and Mike Gesicki with the game on the line. Kayshawn Booty got in there. You know, the, the thesis that a lot of us had, you know, Corrine and I agreed on this, was that the Patriots' offense with a real offensive coordinator, even if it's an offensive coordinator that we don't really like in Bill O'Brien, was just going to be closer to the 18th or 15th best offense in football instead of one of the absolute worst like they were last year. That looked pretty true to me against the Eagles, and I don't think you have to go any deeper than 3 to 
to get the services of Mac Jones. And uh, and then I guess one other guy to mention is for sure Matt Stafford. You know, we're going to be talking about Kyron Williams and Nakua and Atwell. None of that would be possible if Stafford didn't dial back the clock in that game against the Seahawks, which he definitely did. So there are definitely some options at quarterback this week. You know, if you have a, if you have a Ritter type or something like that, I think I, I would rank them Howell, Jones, Stafford, uh, I mean, Stafford has an awful matchup this upcoming week, so you're not really going to want to start him, but that's how I've got it at quarterback. And then I guess for super flex leagues, I mean, you're going to add Zach Wilson. Are you going to feel good about it? No, of course not. I mean, it's it's Zach Wilson. Like, his his baseline is super low, but y- you got to spend on a quarterback who becomes available. Like, maybe would I take Zach Wilson over Josh Dobbs? Like, yeah, probably I would. All right, running back. Long list. Let's just get into it. To begin with, Kenneth Gainwell, if you are in the type of league where he's available, a 10-teamer or something like that, he's clearly the top pickup of the week. He had one of his better usage games of his NFL career in that game against the Patriots. DeAndre Swift barely played. Boston Scott got a carry before DeAndre Swift did. Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch. I actually think they're so Gainwell's sort of interesting in the sense that I don't think he projects as like a mega league winner, but he's sort of like, a, he'll project for like 12 to 13 PPR points per week, something like that, and that's a valuable guy. I mean, like if you lost J.K. Dobbins, maybe you started DeAndre Swift last week with Penny out and you were like, oh, I'm taking this to the bank. Gainwell is the guy I want there. Then Algier, he's the goal line back. He, I think he's probably going to be the closing back there for the Falcons, and he's clearly one of the best handcuffs in fantasy football right now. So if any of those guys are out there, I mean, 10-team league, 20 to 30% of fab on those guys, number one waiver claim, whatever, I, I think that works. All right, Kyron Williams. So I do not love Kyron Williams's profile. Uh, if you go look at his athleticism and things like that, I do think he's like a pretty average player, but the role that he had in week one against the Seahawks was phenomenal. He ran 30 routes in that game. He was getting a ton of high value touches. He he scored two touchdowns, but he almost scored three. Uh, and I mean, like the Rams looked really good. Now, are you going to want to rush him into your lineup against the 49ers? Again, probably not. The 49ers defense looks like probably the best unit in the NFL. Maybe the honestly, maybe the Jets after week one. Cam Akers really only got his work once the Rams were already up over two scores. He played four snaps in the first half. I think Kyron, I think their plan is to use him as the primary back. If Kyron is out there in your FFPC leagues, you know, your main events, your your deep leagues or anything like that, I do think you can spend 30 to 40 to 45% on him. I mean, he's a starting running back in fantasy football, you know, a top 24 running back, I think, or at least, at least close to it. Uh, again, you know, the chances they they've done this with acres before where acres has been in the doghouse and then came out of the doghouse. So it may be temper your expectations a little bit, but I do prefer Kyron to the Ravens guys who we are going to get to here in a moment. The next one, Probably actually the highest ceiling, like maybe the league winner here, is going to be Joshua Kelly. It's a little tricky because Eckler suffered an ankle injury in the loss to the Dolphins, so it's hard to tell how much of this was the game plan, how much of this was something they anticipated heading into the season. We know the Chargers have wanted to take a little bit of work off of Eckler's plate for a while, 
and that's included trying to give Joshua Kelly room to be that guy, and they've had, you know, Kalen Balazs and Isaiah Spiller and all these guys, and none of them have really worked out, but Kelly had 16 touches. He really looked the best he'd ever had in his career against the Dolphins. He also ran 20 routes. I, I think if Eckler were to miss this upcoming week, I honestly would anticipate Kelly ranking as a top 10 running back in fantasy. He also, I think, answered the question, like, he's a premium tier handcuff, right? Um, Elijah Dotson and uh, Isaiah Spiller played no role. Now, Spiller, I think you could spend like a buck on in free agency or something like that because he's a totally forgotten name now. But honestly, like a 30 to 40% bid on Kelly doesn't seem insane. Also, just a quick, before I forget, a quick note. It is better to spend your free agency money early because the utility value of the money goes down moving forward because the guys you add have the ability to impact fewer games, fewer points on your actual roster. So it it always feels kind of bad to like spend a bunch of money, especially because how many countless examples are, are, are there of this where you spend a ton of money on free agency in week one, it was a total fugazi, and you end up like you just feel like you wasted it. Obviously, there are some examples of league winners, you know, uh, Eli Mitchell in his rookie season, an example of a guy who came in and was immediately a starting running back in fantasy football. So definitely uh, a note there. Next up, we have the Ravens guys, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, and Melvin Gordon. I did my Monday morning thread on Twitter and I said, y'all, you can go crazy. You can spend 70% on Justice Hill. And I got some pushback on that. And you know what? The pushback is right. Hill has had this opportunity before with other Ravens running back injured, and he has never been able to capitalize on it. You know, I loved him as a rookie. He got comprehensively outplayed by Mark Ingram. His career high in rushing yards was 262 last year. Um, His two touchdowns in week one matched his career total. He's never been used as much um, as a receiving back as we thought he was you know I mean that was kind of the the supposition with Justice Hill as a rookie he's got 32 career targets he was not targeted in the win against the Texans Gus Edwards is an efficient rusher but has basically no ceiling in the passing game and that sort of guy I mean the I think the ceiling on Gus Edwards is super low like what he gave you in 2020 850 yards and six touchdowns that sort of feels like what, even if he was kind of the starter, quote-unquote, heading into next week, what his season-long projection would look like. And then Melvin Gordon, uh, you know, according to the coaching staff, is going to be activated, is going to be called up. They're not looking outside the organization. Doesn't look like Leonard Fournette or Kareem Hunt are going to sign in Baltimore. Though, They've said these things before and then brought in, uh, what was it, Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman, uh, the year that um, all the, so the year that Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, and J.K. Dobbins all got injured, they just brought, you know, Tyson Williams was the starter in week one, got Lamar blown up once in that game against the Raiders, then we never saw him again. Final guess, 20 to 25% on Justice Hill. 10 to 15% on Gus Edwards and like 1 to 5% on Melvin Gordon. None of these guys are, I guess the thing is, is that none of these guys are going to feel like that cozy of a bid this week. And then when we get more information next week, we might think, oh, well, it was dumb to bid that way, right? We, we should have actually, we should have actually bid way more 
on Gus Edwards because Gus Edwards comes in against the Bengals and gets 24 rushes or something like that. Or, oh, we should have actually gone to Justice Hill because Justice Hill got 17 rushes and six targets against the Bengals or, or something like that. You Ravens running back is a valuable guy to have. Ravens running back is is someone that you want, but it just uh there's just so much uncertainty. It's hard to play it, right? A guy there's no uncertainty about, Tajay Spears. He's actually my favorite running back out of the week. I don't expect him to go for more than 10 to 15% in the leagues where he is available. His stat line was not that good, but he actually started the game ahead of Derrick Henry because the Titans immediately got a penalty after a turnover. Um, He only got three rushes. He was targeted four times in the passing game. He played more snaps than Derrick Henry. He played 54% of the offensive snaps. I also think Tajay Spears is pretty good. He's got an immediate role. He's a premium tier handcuff, and the Titans also look like shit. So the worse their record is, the more likely it is that Henry gets traded, the more likely that they bench Tannehill and go with Malik Willis or Will Levis because the team just gives up, and Spears would definitely be the lead rusher in those scenarios. Roshan Johnson, simply put, he is the best Bears running back. After Spears, he would be my priority in formats where they are available. I actually think you could even start Roshan Next week, Kyle Kyle Dvorak made this point on Twitter after I did a clip of all of Roshan's touches in week one, which is that the entire Bears season is going to be spent in garbage time. You know, uh, I like Justin Fields. He seems fun. He's a great rusher. The team's passing game is just not good. They're going to eat too many sacks. They are going to turn the ball over too often. And Roshan is, is that elite combination of size, ability to pass block, which means you get third downs, you get goal lines. Uh, I I think it's fate accompli that he ends up scoring the most running back points on the Bears. These are deep league bids. I think you can add all these guys in the FFPC. Rico Dowdle, Jaleel McLaughlin in Denver, Zach Moss, Deion Jackson looked like shit. Evan Hole got hurt. Leonard Fournette feels more likely he signed somewhere this week. Ty Chandler, clear handcuff in Minnesota. Jerome Ford, clear handcuff in Cleveland. Keontae Ingram, clear handcuff in Arizona. Patrick Taylor for the Packers with Aaron Jones injuring his hamstring. I think that covers us at running back. Moving to wide receiver, obviously the biggest question of the week. How much do you bid on Puka Nakua? How much do you bid on Tutu Atwell? Do you let someone else get them. What do you do? So Nakua, 32% target rate in college. He was not a full-time player. He was fine at the combine, 4.6240 at 6'2", 210 pounds. He was a good college player, got rave reviews in camp, obviously. I mean, they started to arrest him in the preseason with Atwell. He saw an absurd 15 targets. I do think he's probably the the top ad of the week outside of Josh Kelly and Kyron Williams. Both Atwell and Nakua saw 119 yards. Now, the interesting thing is basically that Nakua played the Cooper Cup role. So what will his role be when Cooper Cup returns, if Cooper Cup returns? Atwell, I think, is much more likely to retain a role if and, uh, you know, when Cooper Cup gets back. I don't think his role is going to change. I imagine the team's plan was Van Jefferson, Atwell, and Cup in their 11 personnel with Nakua as the rotational fourth guy. Nakua did play in the first preseason game and Atwell did not, but clearly Nakua is going to go for a lot. You just don't, you don't really fade 15 targets off the waiver wire 
Most deep formats where he profiles as a starter, I think he's going to go north of 40%. Atwell's going to be a lot cheaper, and I prefer getting him for 8 to 15% more than I prefer getting Nakua. But I, I also have to admit, I'm clearly biased here. I like Atwell more. I like the higher average depth of target. They're also both very risky starts in Week 2 against the 49ers, which I think is something to impact your bids. I mean, if you would have to start them, what does that do? What I mean, what are their projections going to be like? They're, they're not going to be that good with a lower team total against the 49ers. And you're burning up a week of no cup. You know, that's that's 33% of the weeks they'd be on your team without the projection of having Cooper Cup in the lineup. I, I mean, you got to bid. You got to put in a competitive bid on Nakua. I think you have to put in a, a um, you know, a defensive bid at least on Atwell. I do, I do like Atwell's skill set. Um, but there is probably more uncertainty there than the market is anticipating. Zay Jones played way ahead, way well ahead of Christian Kirk in Week One. Scored an awesome touchdown. Trevor Lawrence looked really good. The Jaguars' offense looked good. Uh, in leagues where he's available, like five to ten percent should probably get it done. Like he's really only available in like home leagues, shallow bench leagues, things like that. And it's not like he's ever. I don't think going to be like a slam dunk weekly start. Kendrick Bourne going to be available in loads of FFPC and deep leagues. He saw 11 targets. Now, he really was only playing because Devontae Parker was out, but he sent Juju Smith-Schuster to the bench, and then at the end of the game, Demario Douglas and Kayshawn Booty were running routes ahead of Smith-Schuster, which means, I don't know, like they might just bench Smith-Schuster. Like, what is the point of playing him? He can't get open. His knees are all dust. Bourne has like mostly been good in his career when he's actually gotten, you know, when he's gotten playing time. He's been in the league since 2017. He is uh, actually has an 800-yard per season in 2021 for New England. For whatever reason, they just stopped playing him last year. But in 2021, he appeared in 70 games, 800 yards, and five touchdowns for the Patriots. Like, I, I don't know why they stopped playing him last season. And, and he had you know, bright spots for the Patriots last year, uh, week 15 against the Bengals, six receptions, a hundred yards and a touchdown. So he's popped up with games like this before. I think he's a fine, you know, 5%, eight, you know, $80 on the FFPC, something like that. I also think you can do like five bucks on Kayshawn Booty, or if you're, if you're in a hundred dollar waiver budget league, I think you can do a buck on him. Seems kind of interesting. He was a five-star recruit at LSU, just had like a weird career and also totally bombed the combine. We got Jaden Reed. He had an dot over 18, probably has a higher ceiling role than Romeo Dobbs. Now Christian Watson is going to be back. Luke Musgrave is going to earn a bunch of targets. This team's also going to throw to their running backs a ton. I'm also not buying into the Packers being a high-volume passing offense, but Reed does seem like, you know, a, a rookie wide receiver with high draft capital with a little bit of ceiling. I think he's a pretty good 5% bid. Next up, we have Rashid Shahid. I'm just like really into the role that he has for the Saints. They get the most dome games of any team in the NFL. They also have the preseason easiest projected schedule of any team in the NFL. As a part-time player last year, Shahid had 550 yards and three touchdowns. Already a touchdown here. They used him as a rusher. He got two rushes. He got six targets. He wasn't even a full-time player here. Only played 54% of the snaps. Keep in mind, we're pretty much expecting Michael Thomas to get injured at some point. And if and when that happens, Shahid goes into like a true full percent 
you know, playing, playing role. Um, I like him in the FFPC, uh, in any deep format, the NFFC or whatever. I, I think you can spend five to 8% on him pretty confidently. Finally, uh, Deontay Johnson going to be out for several weeks with a hamstring injury. I like to bid on Calvin Austin more than I like to bid on Allen Robinson. Austin is, uh, I mean, really, he's just he's just too too at well. But on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I mean, Pickett looked like shit in that game. But uh, Austin played thirty five snaps. That was fifty six percent. He got six targets, six receptions, thirty seven yards. I mean, he had 2,300 yards and 20 touchdowns his final two seasons at Memphis. Like, he at least seems like more fun. Are you ever going to want to start Allen Robinson? Probably not. Like, you have to be so dead. I mean, I'd rather start like Michael Gallup or something like that than Allen Robinson. Then our, our real deep cuts, we got Josh Reynolds. Marvin Jones looked awful on Thursday night. Jonathan Mingo, full-time starter for Carolina. Josh Palmer, who is, you know, playing a ton for the Los Angeles Chargers, probably the Keenan Allen handcuff. Trey Palmer, I actually kind of liked what Trey Palmer did for the Buccaneers, and I kind of liked him as a prospect anyways. I liked the uh, I liked what he did his final year at Nebraska. He didn't play a ton, 34% of the snaps, but did score a touchdown, was targeted three times on limited snaps. He seems like the Godwin handcuff and, and a rotational third wide receiver. Uh, Downs, Downs had actually the first three receptions at wide receiver for the Colts, but then saw his role diminish a little bit as the game went on. But I do like... Um, a buck on Palmer, a buck on Reynolds, a buck on Downs, a buck on Booty in uh, any kind of deep format feels good. Finally, tight end. Hunter Henry is an absolute must-add. I think he's probably close to a top 10 tight end the rest of the way. The wide receivers are are just so poor and, and very little pedigree that I think Henry could probably lead the Patriots in targets most week. His route and snap share was really what we were projecting. And it actually never made sense that Hunter Henry was going so low. Like, why would Hunter Henry go below Chigakonkwo? I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, he played 79% of the snaps. He was the overall tight end one on the week with six targets. His, his role is absolutely locked in. You're going to feel pretty comfortable starting him most weeks. Uh, I mean, if he's out there in a main event, you got to get him. If he's out there in any kind of deeper format, you know, 20-man rosters, I, I think, like... 10 to 15 percent obviously like in shallow stuff your home league 10 team league I I think like five percent is probably fine Jake Ferguson four red zone targets six targets overall ran a bunch of routes with the first team offense before they started to work in the backups because they were just beating the doors off the New York Giants the preseason projection of him being the primary receiving tight end over Hendershot and Luke Schoonmacher proved to be true um, I think Ferguson is like a, a low-end tight end starter. Like, not not a guy you're ever going to love starting, but he's fine. I mean, this, the, the scoring at tight end was just so bad in week one. It highlights why we just want guys on the field. Luke Musgrave, 77% route participation. Would have actually been the highest scoring tight end of week one if he would have just not fallen over wide open. Uh, he, he caught a long pass, was facing towards the line of scrimmage, away from the end zone. It was like backwards walking and just fell over before he could get into the end zone. And I think the position is just so bad 
that a guy with his role is super valuable. And and you know, look, I could also be wrong about Jordan Love. I mean, he had 9.1 YPA. Like he he Jordan Love could be really good. So we'll we'll see about that. I think like five to eight percent gets it done in leagues where he wasn't drafted. Durham Smythe played every single offensive snap for the Miami Dolphins and ran more routes than Tyreek Hill. We realized this pretty late in the preseason, but basically the Dolphins had no one to play at tight end but Durham Smythe. Um, like they, they, I think they only had two tight ends on the active roster on Sunday. They had a guy who was an undrafted free agent make the team, and anytime that's a position and you've got the uh, you've got the veteran there, I mean, you just know that uh, the guy's gonna play. So yeah, Smythe, hundred percent of the offensive snaps. Tyler Croft, the backup tight end, played two snaps, so that was obviously in heavy personnel. And then I think the undrafted free agent's name is Justin Hill. I don't even remember. Eli, it's, it's I don't know, but he didn't play. He he was he was a healthy scratch. So Smythe is locked into a lot of of snaps. I don't know how many targets he's going to get. In fact, he's probably not going to see very many targets because he's playing with Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and eventually they're going to activate a chain, and I think they're going to target him a good bit. But like one percent will get him in any league. You know, maybe you do 3%, like 35 bucks in the main event or something like that, and you get him if you're, like, really dead at tight end. And then our final FFPC tight end premium only guy is going to be Zach Ertz. He had a 33% target share, 10 targets, a absolutely hilarious 2.1 yards per target from Josh Dobbs. I mean, he he gets open three yards from the line of scrimmage, he catches the ball, and then he falls down. Uh, it is it is the Urch Gerald role, as my friend Patrick Corain uh, named it. So that role at tight end, I mean, look, you guys just saw tight end scoring. It's terrible. So just even knowing a guy can get you like eight in any given week is not nothing. So that is, I think, a pretty comprehensive look at the waiver wire in week one. Hope that was useful. Uh, as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to uh, to chat with me on Twitter and uh Let's go, and, let's go and get these guys. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.